Well, good morning. Welcome again to Christ the King. It's good to be with you. Uh, if you have a Bible, please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18. Uh, you can also follow along in your order of service. The passage is printed there for you. We're going to be looking um, at a, a passage that is probably familiar to many of us, a, a parable that Jesus tells, and he's telling it in response to a question that Peter asks him. Remember, we're in the midst of a study looking at the life of Peter. Um, we're looking at Peter because in these different episodes from Peter's life, we're not just seeing the questions that Peter asks. We're not simply uh, hearing the, the responses he gives. We're not seeing his ideas of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Most importantly, what we're seeing is Jesus' response to Peter. So in these episodes, Jesus is showing us what it looks like to follow him. He's reorienting and, and reshaping what it means to follow him and what we're to believe about him. And so we've heard things like we're to take up our cross, we're to deny ourselves, we're to follow him. Last week we saw the, the glory of the Lord revealed on the Mount of Transfiguration. And in all these things, Jesus is reshaping our understanding of what it means to follow him. And this morning he's doing that in regards to our forgiveness how it is that we are to live with one another, and what forgiveness is looking like, and most importantly, why we are to forgive. So let's go ahead and read Matthew 18, beginning in verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold, and his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything." And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also will my heavenly Father do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Our God and our King, we do thank you for this portion of your word. And we acknowledge and recognize that forgiveness uh, is, is something that sounds wonderful but is, is often difficult to practice. And so we ask that you would allow this time to, to form us and shape us and reform us and reshape us into your image so that we would be a people marked by forgiveness. 
So Lord, allow the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts to please you. For it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, C.S. Lewis, uh, in his wonderful book, Mere Christianity, he says this about forgiveness. He says, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea. Everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea, and he's right. He's right because we all know the blessing and the beauty of forgiveness, right? We all know that we, at times, have been in need of forgiveness. Many of you know that uh, when we lived in St. Louis a number of years ago, I, I had this wonderful garden in our yard. I miss this garden. I'm, I'm longing for the day when my slope in my yard will be no more and I can have a garden again. But, but we had this wonderful garden, and in my garden I grew tomatoes and lettuce and, and squash and zucchini, and, and I love to get my hands dirty and eat the, the fruit of the labors. But, it, but the, the garden wasn't just the blessing in of itself. There was a blessing because my neighbor who lived right behind me, he too had a garden. And so we would connect over it. We would stand by the fence and we would talk about how the tomatoes were growing or how it was too wet or too dry. We would connect over the produce that was growing in our collective gardens. But we would also connect over the thing that was uh, destroying our gardens. And that was these squirrels. <laughs> You see, squirrels had invaded my garden. They were devouring my tomatoes, and they were invading his garden, and we had no way of keeping them at bay. So he, my neighbor, and I, we put our heads together, and we devised a plan to deal with this pest problem in our gardens. The plan, in, it, it entailed uh, pellet guns. <laughs> uh, so I went, and I borrowed my friend's pellet gun. I don't have a pellet gun. I had never shot a pellet gun, so I went and borrowed my friend's pellet gun, and I decided I was going to help with the squirrel population in our neighborhood. And so one afternoon, I pull out my pellet gun, and well, I'll, uh, I'll just say uh, the squirrel population never decreased, <laughs> but the tension with my neighbor increased because with one shot, it ricocheted off a tree and it went through my neighbor's window. And I had no idea it had happened. Until a few hours later when there was a knock on my door. And my neighbor was standing now, not, not commiserating with me about the squirrels, but furious that his window had been shot. He was angry, and rightfully so. It went right into his living room where his kids watched TV. He was angry at me for what had happened, and, and I was concerned as well. My first thought was, are, are your children okay? Is everything all right? Did it hit anything else? Is it just the little hole in the window? I am so sorry. And he saw the remorse on my face. He heard those words. I will pay the window for the window. I will get it replaced. I will take care of it. Will you forgive me? Now, we know the anxiety. We know the worry when we have to say those words, will you forgive me? Because every one of us have had to utter those words to someone. It might be someone that we care about. It might be because we've, we've hurt our spouse. It might be because we've been too harsh with our children. It might be because we have sinned against our friend, but we have had to say those words, will you Forgive me. And as we have to utter those words, there is 
fear and anxiety because what if, what if this is finally the thing that breaks this relationship completely? What if there is no forgiveness to be found? What if I utter those words, will you forgive me? And there is only silence. But to hear those words, you are forgiven, those three little words, I mean, that is balm to the soul, isn't it? It takes our anxiety and it replaces it with comfort. It takes our fear and it knows that we are loved. You are forgiven. Lewis is right. It is a lovely idea. That everyone agrees forgiveness is a lovely idea, but, but Lewis goes on. You see, he doesn't stop there. The quote continues. He says, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. And he's right. He's right. As much as we want to be forgiven, we know how hard it is to forgive. Right? It's lovely when we are receivers of forgiveness, but when we're dispensers of it. When, when I want to be forgiven, but, but when I'm called to forgive. What about then? Well, if you're a Christian here this morning, or even if you're not a Christian, but you've been around Christians before, you know what the answer is to be. That you were called to forgive. That that's what Christians do, right? We are a forgiving people. That's what we talk about. Our sins, they have been forgiven, and so we must forgive. And we know that, but, but even as we have that knowledge, the truth is, is that for many of us, deep in our hearts and in the deep recesses of our minds, we very often want to limit the scope and the breadth of forgiveness. I mean, that's what Peter's asking, isn't he? He's not asking, should I forgive? But he's saying, how often should I forgive? That's what he says in verse 21. He says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now, seven times actually sounds like a lot, doesn't it? I mean, think, think about that. If, if someone has sinned against you again and again and again and again and again and again and again, I mean, to, to keep saying I forgive you, to receive them back, that, that can feel like a lot. And in Peter's day, that actually was a lot. You see, the rabbinic teaching of the day said that you only had to forgive your brother three times. He sins against you once, twice, three times, forgive him. But on the fourth, you don't have to forgive him anymore. You can wipe your hands and be done. So for the day, Peter's actually very generous. He's very gracious. He's going beyond the standards of the day. And yet, even as he says seven times, he's still trying to limit the breadth, isn't he? His concern is with how many times, but that's not Jesus' concern. How does Jesus respond in verse 22? I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, for those of us who are not uh, mathematically inclined, uh, that's 490 but Jesus isn't saying if your brother sins against you at the 491st, <laughs> then you can watch. That's not what he's saying. That's not the point. You see, Jesus isn't setting a limit on it. He is giving such a large number that he's saying that your concern shouldn't be with the number of times you are to forgive your brother. Your concern should be with the nature of forgiveness itself. 
See, that's what Jesus is doing. He's reorienting us to see what the nature of forgiveness is, and he shows us in this parable. And the first thing that we see about forgiveness is that it is birthed out of compassion. It's birthed out of compassion. Jesus says in verse 23, he begins this parable, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven... Okay, let's stop just for a second. Do you hear what he's about to say? The kingdom of heaven looks like this. So what he's saying is, if you are going to be my kingdom people, if you are going to live under my reign and my rule, this is what it looks like to be in my kingdom. Okay, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And so he brings the servants, and one comes with 10,000 talents, and it's time for him to pay up. Now, a talent is 20 years' wages. One talent, 20 years' wages. So that is 200,000 years' worth of debt. That's a lot of debt. That's a lot of debt that he has accumulated, right? That number is astronomical. It's like today, you know, like you talk to kids and they're trying to think of the biggest number they can think of. It's like a bazillion gazillion, right? Like it's Googleplex, whatever that word means. You know, I'm, I'm not really sure, but they have this idea in their mind. That's what it's like. It's unfathomable that someone would have this amount of debt. There's no way that he would ever be able to pay it back. And so what does he say to the king in verse 26? Well, he says, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Okay, it's amazing the king didn't roll over in laughter, right? 200,000 years worth of debt, and I'll just be patient because his grandchildren's grandchildren's grandchildren are not going to see this debt paid back. It doesn't matter how patient he is, it will never be paid back, and that's the point. It is not payable. There aren't enough lifetimes for this man to be able to pay it back. And yet, what does the king do? He gives the servant something even greater than patience. Look at verse 27. Out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. That word pity, it means compassion. It's the same word for compassion. In fact, this word shows up 12 times in the Gospels. And the majority of the times, it's speaking of Jesus' uh, inclination, his disposition towards those who are in need, towards the helpless. And so we read in places in the Gospels, like Jesus saw the crowds, and they were harassed and helpless. And so what did he have? He had compassion for them. And in another instance, he saw the crowds, and he had compassion for them. And so out of his compassion, he healed some of them. Another time, crowds came who were hungry, and out of compassion, he fed them. And in other times, we see he has compassion that leads him to healing the blind and raising a dead child and making the leper clean. You see, it was compassion that marked much of what our Lord did. It was compassion that marked much of how Jesus responded to the people in need around him. And it is compassion that spurs forgiveness. It's compassion that spurs forgiveness, but this kind of compassion, forgiveness like this, it is costly. The actress Kira Knightley, some of you are probably familiar with her. She's been in a number of popular uh, movies like Pride and Prejudice. I know it's not the same as the BBC version, but, but you know, it's, you've probably heard of her. Well, she's not a Christian, she's an atheist, and she once said this, if only I wasn't an atheist... 
I could get away with anything. You just ask for forgiveness and then you'd be forgiven. It sounds much better than living with guilt. You know, in one sense she's right. Forgiveness does sound better than living with guilt. But in another sense, she is very, very wrong. Because she has an understanding of forgiveness that is very simple and very easy and very cheap. Because her idea of forgiveness costs nothing. But forgiveness is actually very costly. So my neighbor, as he was standing there, seething with anger because I put a hole in his window, he hears my remorse. He hears my asking of grace. He hears me say, will you forgive me? And as he's standing in front of me, I can visibly see his disposition changing. His anger starts to melt. And when he hears, will you forgive me? I will pay for the window. He says, you are forgiven. He said, don't worry about the window. You're forgiven, Penny. Don't worry about the window. What you did was stupid. (laughs) And days later, he said it again. (laughs) He acknowledged it, and we laughed about it. And you're right, it was stupid. Take the gun away. (laughs) But he said, you're forgiven. I'll worry about the window. And I closed the door, and I realized that, you know what, even as he said, I'm forgiven, the window was still broken. So for him to forgive me meant that he was either going to have to go for some time with a broken window or he was going to have to pay for the window himself. It was going to cost him regardless. And that's what all forgiveness is. It is going to cost someone. And that's what we see with the king. Right? He says that the debt is forgiven. He says out of compassion, he releases him and forgives him the debt. But that means that the king is taking that debt upon himself. 200,000 years worth of money doesn't just all of a sudden appear. It doesn't fill his account. He is saying, I will go without out of compassion for you. It costs him And friends, oftentimes in parables, when we read parables, we're we're invited to identify with a character in the story or maybe a quality about the character. And it would be easy for us to identify and think of ourselves as the benevolent and compassionate king, wouldn't it? (laughs) I mean, that's how I would like to think of myself. I'm sure that's how my kids would like me to think of myself sometimes as well. But the truth is, is that's, that's not who we're supposed to identify with. You see, Jesus makes it very clear that the king in this story isn't us, it's God himself. He makes it very clear at the very end of the parable. Now, the person that we are supposed to identify ourselves with is who? The one who has the insurmountable debt. You see, we are like that servant who came and asked for patience. And so I have two questions for you. I have two questions for you. The first is, do you realize the size of your debt? Do you realize how much you owe? Because the Bible tells us that we, because of our sin, have accrued a debt that is so great that we could never repay it. Now, now if, we're, if you're a Christian here, and I know many of you are, it is easy to be flippant about that. 
and go, yeah, 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 I know my sin. It, you know, I'm way more sinful than I ever dreamed to imagine and all these sorts of things. I, I know my sin's a big deal. That's why we confess our sin. We can be very flippant about it, but, but don't do that. Because our sin is more than just a simple mistake. Our sin is rebellion against our king. Our sin isn't something that we just pass over. Our sin is weighty. It is our thumbing our nose at our God, at our creator. It is rejecting his good care for us. It is much heavier than we dare imagine. And so we have to ask, do we truly understand the depths of our sin, what we owe? It's the first question, but the second question is, do you realize the cost that Jesus incurred to release you from that debt? You see, it cost Jesus his very life. We heard it in the assurance of pardon this morning. Right after we confessed our sins corporately and silently, we heard these words of grace spoken over us that in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Do you hear how forgiveness comes? It only comes through the blood of Christ. Through his blood that was shed and his body that was broken. That is the cost that Jesus incurred so that our debt would be forgiven. And so when Kira Knightley says, I can get away with anything, all I have to do is ask to be forgiven and it's done, she's revealing that she really has no idea what forgiveness really takes. That is cheap and it ignores the costliness to forgive. It costs Christ his life. And friends, the good news is that if you are in Christ, if you are trusting him this morning, then you benefit from that cost. That your debt, it is no more. 200,000 years worth of debt is nothing in compared to what we owed him. And he has canceled it by his blood. Hallelujah. So what do we do with that? I mean, how do we respond to that? Like, as, as Jesus tells us that we are recipients of that kind of compassionate and costly forgiveness, what do we do? Well, we're to be copiers of that forgiveness. That's what the second half of the parable is getting at. You see, the forgiven servant, he goes out. And, and he goes out freed from his debt. And so I can imagine there's a bounce in his step. Right? The sun is a little bit brighter. The weight of his debt, it is no more. Right? He, is just, he is just bounding and excited and joyful that his debt has been freed. But, but very quickly, his joy turns to anger. Because now he sees someone who owes him. A fellow servant who doesn't owe him 200,000 years worth of debt, but owes him 100 denarii, which is the equivalent of 100 days' wages. That's no small amount, but in comparison, it is minuscule. And so he's asked for patience to give his fellow servant time to repay. And when he hears words almost as identical to the words that he spoke, how does he respond? Well, the one who had been forgiven now refuses to forgive. He is the epitome of Lewis's quote, forgiveness is lovely, until there is something to forgive. You see, the problem is that this servant, as a recipient of great grace, 
as a recipient of costly forgiveness, is now unwilling to duplicate that grace. He's unwilling to copy that forgiveness. And so the king responds in verse 32. His master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant. You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should, you, should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. See, Jesus isn't just inviting us to copy the grace that we have received, to duplicate the forgiveness that we have been showered with. He's also warning us Did you hear that? If you are unwilling to forgive your brother from the heart, Jesus is saying, then then you really never knew my forgiveness to begin with. It is not only a warning, but it is also an invitation. He's telling us that those who are forgiven, who know the debt that has been forgiven of them, that we are to be forgivers. So what does it mean? What is it going to mean for us to forgive? Well, that word, it it literally means to release or to let go. So it means that we are going to release others from the debt that they have incurred. And I want you to hear this. This is not easy. Like, we need to acknowledge that. This is not simple. Or maybe it is simple, but it's not easy. It's actually quite hard. Right? I mean, when, when we hear people that say things like, oh, just forgive and move on. Don't think about that anymore. Like, when, when I hear that, oftentimes I think, well, maybe that, that person probably has never had to forgive something of any weight. Because this ain't easy. And yet, it is the very thing Jesus calls us to. You remember a few weeks ago when Peter first heard the call of Jesus? What Jesus said to him, there were three things. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. And and I seem to recall in that sermon, I said, there are many ways that we are going to be called to deny ourselves and take up our cross. And I think forgiveness is one of them. Because when we forgive someone, what we are doing is we are denying our vengeance. When we forgive someone, we're denying ourselves the desire to hold it over them. When we forgive someone, we are literally taking up our cross. And we are following Christ. And we need to hear this because I know that some of us are wrestling today with what forgiveness looks like. And if you're not wrestling with it today, you're wrestling with it because you experienced it before. And if you have never had to wrestle with this in your past or this morning, you will certainly one day. Because the truth is, is that as we live with one another, as we are in relationship with one another, we will sin against one another. I will sin against you and you against me and we with one another and against our neighbors and our coworkers. And so forgiveness has to be a part of our lives. We are in need of it and so are others. 
It is not easy. And yet it is what Christ has called us to. But I also want you to hear that forgiveness doesn't mean that there aren't consequences for sin. You see, sometimes that's how we think about it. Forgiveness means there are no consequences. That's how Kira Knightley thinks of it. That it really doesn't cost anyone anything. But forgiveness actually has, cons- or sin actually has consequences even when there is forgiveness. I want you to think about two, two, uh, two characters in the Bible, Moses and David. Now, I have no doubt in my mind that Moses and David are right now in heaven worshiping God. I have no doubt. Their sins have been forgiven, right? I mean, Jesus is sitting on the throne of David, and last week on the Mount of Transfiguration, who shows up? Moses, right? Their sins in my mind, there is no question in my mind their sins have been forgiven. And yet, though David's adultery and murder have been forgiven, his son still died. And though Moses' striking of the rock, it was forgiven, he still didn't enter the promised land. You see, friends, forgiveness doesn't mean there are no consequences for sin. And we know this intuitively, don't we? I mean, if there is someone in your life that is notoriously deceptive, They can come and ask for forgiveness, and you can say, I forgive you. But that doesn't mean that you're going to believe every single word that they say, especially when it sounds a little fishy, right? I mean, that's just unwise. Or or let's say a woman is convicted for embezzling funds, right? She can come and ask for forgiveness. We can forgive her, but but we're probably not going to let her count the offering, right? Right? Right. Yes. (laughs) Now, maybe over the period of time, when the fruit of repentance is seen, when growth and and true remorse is reflected, then then maybe those kind of limitations start to drop off and and they're given that freedom again. But but we just know that, that sin has consequences. And so even as we forgive one another, it doesn't mean that we just throw those consequences away. But it means that, that, that the debt that you have incurred to me, I will release you. Now listen, I, I don't doubt that there is much more that could be said. And I imagine that many of us have thoughts in our minds, like situations running through our minds, right? Like, but Penny, <laughs> and I have them too. Those relationships that we're a part of, that, that we wonder... What is forgiveness going to look like now? What what should forgiveness look like in this situation? I mean, I'm sure we all have these situations, and and so I want to encourage you to engage with each other over these. I want to encourage you to engage with me and with the leaders of the church so, so that we would be a people who would be marked by forgiveness, so that we would not be flippant with it, that we would not just kind of brush it aside, that but yet we would still be marked by it. But friends, even as we wrestle with these questions, we, we do so so that we would always remember the fact that we've been forgiven. You see, that is the motivation for why we forgive. It's because we have been forgiven a far greater debt 
than what has been accrued against us. And that's what motivates us to forgive. Or as Bill Edgar, a professor at Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia, put it, he said, when we fully grasp the enormity of what God has done for us, then we can imitate him in our relationships with others. A forgiven person will naturally be a forgiving person. And so, friends, let us not ask with Peter, how many times must I forgive my brother? Instead, let us remember how much we have been forgiven. Let us remember what it cost Christ to forgive us, and let us copy that forgiveness. Let us be a people who forgive, because, friends, it truly is a lovely, lovely thing. Let me pray. Father, we know that forgiveness is beautiful, and it is what our hearts desire. We know it because we have experienced it ourselves. We know it because you have looked upon our sin and you have looked upon the work of Christ and you have declared us forgiven, not because of what we have done, but because of him. And so we pray that you would remind us of that, that we would know that as deep and as great as our sins may be, that Christ's grace is deeper still, that all of our sins have been forgiven. And so I pray that that would motivate us to be a people who desire to forgive others, who will utter those beautiful and wonderful words, you are forgiven. Father, help us to say those because we have heard them from you. Help us in all our ways to give you glory. We pray in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen.